Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for uh, the privilege of being able to be here. Um, I do lift up the, the team in Israel. Just continue to bless them. Continue to, to minister to them, Lord, that they would come back uh, just absolutely changed in a positive way, Lord, having, having seen you, having experienced you in a, in a deeper way, Lord, seeing scripture just come alive or come to life, Lord. Uh, I do pray for this evening, just ask that you would be uh, present, be glorified as your scripture is opened up. Lord, give us clarity um, of mind as we look at what you have for us. Lord, help us to, to take that, to apply it, uh, and to, to go forth and do what you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to have this word. I uh, just ask that you would do a mighty work tonight and that you would be glorified. Lord, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 24, and context, because context is always important, context here is Jesus has died, he has he's been crucified, that is a public thing, and all of the disciples are heartbroken. They've lost their hope, They're, they are at a, at a loss of what to do in the, the lives that they are now leading, because most of them have given up a lot to follow Christ. Most of them have given up an extreme amount, whether that's family, friends, whether that's a job, whether that's just up and moving and you're in a new location. Most of these people have been following him for a while, and you just have this uprooting of your entire life because everything is there. And at this point, we jump in with a couple of people who are absolutely unknown to us, which is, is beautiful because most of us are absolute unknowns, right? None of us are going to be the super big popularity, we're superstars on TV, and so this is us. This is us right here, regardless of where we're at in life. So we jump into verse 13. Now behold, two of them, two disciples, were traveling that same day, that same day, that same Sunday, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together and all, of all these things which had happened. So we jump into our story and we've got two disciples, two, two unknowns to us, and they are going back to what I would imagine is their home, seven miles from Jerusalem, Passover is over, they got done celebrating that, they're ready to head home. Seven miles is about uh, a, the same walk as here to Huachuca City. Three, four hour walk, you could do that in a day, not a problem. And so they're going through this, they've gone through all of this, and what can you do aside from just talk about all of the heartache that has been on your mind? And that's what they're doing. They're, they're two, they're friends, they're, they're just discussing it, trying to figure it out. Verse 15 says, And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they're trying to figure this out. They are trying to figure out and make sense of this. They have lost all their hope. They are confused. They are helpless. They are hopeless. Their life is in turmoil. They are in chaos. And they are reasoning, trying to figure out what is going to happen. But while they were trying to figure it out, who, who comes to them, right? 
when we don't know what's gonna happen in life, who draws near to us? Jesus, because that's his heart for us. That's, he sees us helpless and he says, well, I can help. And so let me, let me come, as long as we're actually genuinely trying to figure something out. If we're genuinely seeking him, he will draw near to us without a second thought. And so he draws near, but their eyes, verse 16, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. People are, are split on why or how he did this. More than likely, it's supernatural. Some people take the, the natural realm and say his, his scars were still there on his face from the beatings and such. But either way, Jesus is there, and they intentionally couldn't, they, they didn't know who he was, which is is perfect for him because now this is undercover boss here dealing with his disciples and and the reality is is most of us are a lot more honest with somebody if we don't know the elevated status of who they are right i i know when i first met people like pastor jack and pastor pat just the the elevation that we automatically put on people and so we have a hard time opening up and being honest and, and talking. So he intentionally isn't there. But he walks up to them and says, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So he opens up the, the, the whole dialogue and says, hey, clearly I, I know everything, but I don't even need to use my infinite knowledge. I can tell you guys are sad. This is not just small talk. This is something that is a little bit bigger than just average conversation. Clearly, you guys are upset. You guys are sad. What are you guys talking about? Now, the disciples at this point have a, a decision to make. Do they do what we do in a modern America and say, oh, hey, uh, no, it, we were just talking about the last few days. No big deal. It, it, our day's going pretty good. How are you doing? And try and deflect. Or are they going to be open and honest about how they actually genuinely feel? Are they going to take Jesus at the opportunity to give them all of their concerns, all of their fears, all of their doubts and, and misgivings? Or are they going to just brush it off and say, oh, hey, common stranger, hey, how are you? Uh, we're doing good. How about you? How was your Passover? Yeah, it's been a rough couple of days. So. They respond, verse 18, Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there these days? Are you, are you new here? <laughs> uh, it's been pretty big. Uh, everybody's talking about it. It's all over the place. You can't find a corner that people aren't talking about this. Are, are, are you losing it? Like, have you been asleep the last couple of days, vacation? Like, what's going on? Because clearly, clearly you don't know. And Jesus, again, is prodding. He could have very easily said, oh yeah, I know about what happened, because obviously he did. It happened to him. But he doesn't. He wants them to be open and honest. He wants them to, to really, oh hey, well, where's your focus? What is your heart? And it, it gets to me because all too often I don't do this. I do not have this, this capacity in me very, very naturally to, to just bear my heart out before the Lord. But he wants it. He really, really desires for us to be on good, good communication because 
the moment we are, he can step in and say, well, now that you've acknowledged it, I knew it the whole time, I can do something about it. And so that's what he's asking for, from them. He said to them, what things? I, I'm going to play the ignorance card. What, what are you talking about? I, I, don't, I don't know. What are you talking about? What things? And so the, the word vomit starts. They, they just start unloading on Jesus. So they said to him, middle of verse 19, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, past tense, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And there it is, right? There it is. Well, we had given up everything. We had put our hope in him. We had put our trust in this guy. Now, the problem was, was that their hope was slightly misguided. It was hope in the right person, but it was hope in the wrong information. Because, as we'll see here in a minute, they didn't understand Scripture. They, they looked at Scripture and they had an idea of what Scripture said, and they put their hope in what they thought Scripture said, not in what Scripture actually said. And again, I can't help but see the similarities in my own life. How often do I just walk into a situation, oh yeah, I know, yeah, I got this. No, no I don't. I didn't even have a half of the idea of what was going on, and here they are in the same boat. If they would have understood scripture, they would have had absolutely no cause for concern, but they didn't. Now, I have to give them a break because all of this is happening and they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. This all happens in my life and I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, and so I'm even less without an excuse. At least they had something going for them. And so, indeed, middle of verse 21, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Now, I don't think that they were saying this in reference to what Jesus said about rising on the third day. I, I am personally of the opinion that they are saying this to say, hey, you know, uh, it hasn't even been a week and we're still processing. We are still trying to go over all of this. We were just reasoning about what all of this means and what we were to do. And I can only picture Jesus saying, oh, you're right there. You're right there. Right? Just a little bit further. But no, no, they stopped short. They, like we do, they stopped short because they had a misunderstanding of what Scripture said. So, they're still processing. It's not even a week out. Today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So now they're starting to recap the day. It's Sunday, tomb is, tomb is empty, stones rolled away, and the, the gals have already been there. All the, the 700 Marys were at the tomb, and they, they are there, and they are 
going to prepare his body, going to, to douse him in, in perfume and oils and, and do as much as they can to glorify the Lord with, with the dead body that's there. And they show up, right? All of this is in the beginning of Luke chapter 24. They show up and what happens? They see an angel and they are at a loss. And the angel says, well, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Didn't Jesus tell you about this? Did, I, I'm pretty sure I, I was there for that conversation. I read that section in scripture. He said that. Why are you here? And so they left, and, and that's also when Mary is just heartbroken and turns around, and she sees Jesus, who she thinks is the gardener, because she's got tears pouring down her eyes, and she just doesn't know. And so she's looking for Jesus, and, and wants his body, and just wants her Savior back. And even more then, verse 24, And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they get back and they tell the disciples, hey, this is what happened. And so what happens? John and Peter go running. And John's amazing because he runs faster. He gets to the tomb. He sees, he looks in. He sees the empty tomb. He sees the, the garments there folded up nicely. And he believes. Then Paul gets there and he looks in and He's just, he's astonished, but he doesn't know what to do with it. He has no idea what to do. And so this is all going through these disciples' minds, right? They're on the road, they're talking, and they're talking, and they're talking, and they're going through, and they're trying to figure it out. Well, maybe it was a conspiracy theory, right? We love those. And you, you go through all the conspiracy theories, but none of them hold water. So it's like, why? What happened? How can we put our lives back together? Verse 25, Jesus starts to, to get in on this. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Now, I was astonished studying this. I was, I was genuinely amazed how many people read this and assume that Jesus was angry. And I get it with the wording, I do, but that's not the heart of Jesus. He's not looking at them saying, man, how could you guys be so dumb? Like, that's not, that's not my Lord. That's not, that's not the God of the Bible. That sarcastic, yes, but rude, no. Can't you hear the heartbreak, right? I read this and I look at, I, I, I can only picture the, the verses where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and his heart is broken for a city who's rejecting him. His heart is broken for the disciples who he's told multiple times, hey, I'm going to die. And they just, well, which one of us is the greatest, Lord? Like, I know, I know you're facing death, but seriously, like, right and left, like, are, are we good here? And his heart broke every single time. And so he looks at them and he says, man, why? And then I picture the verses where he's talking to Thomas and he says, hey, you know, it's, it breaks my heart that you are here, that you, it took you seeing me in the person to believe. You're blessed, don't get me wrong, but blessed are those who are going to believe without seeing, right? His heart broke because there's so much potential and it wasn't seen through, 
And so that's, that's the tone in which I, I read verse 25. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. Right? His, his heart was broken because their hearts were slow to believe. Because they had scripture and they, they, they just didn't get it. And so, verse 26, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? I love how the ESV words that. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Are you aware, like, is it, is it real in your lives that it was an absolute necessary thing for Jesus to die? Like, is that a reality in your life? Because if you don't have verse 26 seared in your heart and in your life, then verse 27 means nothing to you. Because if we don't understand that we had to be saved, then the rest of Scripture pointing us to Jesus doesn't mean much. Because, well, why bother, right? If we don't get 26 in our head that Jesus had to die, the reality is, even if all of Jerusalem, right, his heart was broken for Jerusalem because they weren't accepting of him, but even if they did, you realize that he still had to die. Even if it was before, even if it was after, he still had to. Number one, he made promises, hence all of scripture. But number two, the, the Bible speaks very clearly that Jesus chose to die before the foundations of the world. He knew in making creation that you and I would be here. He knew how messed up you and I would be. He knew what would happen in the garden and what would happen throughout human history. And he said, well, you know what? I'm willing to do this only because I'm willing to go to the cross. And if he never went to the cross, then what we're doing here is pointless, right? If he never rose from the dead, because he specifies both there, suffered these things and entered into his glory, he needed both. But if that's not a reality, then, then we're here for nothing. And so he's sitting here, and he's, he's walking with them. He's, he's discussing this, and he says, this is why my heart's broken. Didn't you realize that this was necessary, that I needed to do this, not just for you, but for, for me and my glory, right? Why did we get saved? Not just because it helps us, but we got saved for God's glory. And so verse 27 best Bible study on planet earth, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. So starting with Genesis and going all the way through Malachi, he starts explaining that he was supposed to come, that he was supposed to die. Now, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, one of my favorite Bible verses, says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Again, given by inspiration of God because he knew everything and so he inspired everything and he had this whole plan from the beginning. It didn't shock him. It was given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Why is all of that there? That the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do we have the scriptures? 
so that way we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work, so that way we can walk out the plans and purposes of our Lord from before the foundations of the world, so that way we can participate in his plan to redeem humanity and glorify the Father doing so. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why do we have scripture? So we can walk in, in those good works. So that way we can glorify God. I love how Romans puts it. He, uh, Paul in the book of Romans says, we are his ambassadors. We are the representations of Christ to every single person that you and I encounter. And how do we do that? We do that through his scripture. It, it's amazing. Their life was in shambles. Their life was in chaos. And where does Jesus take them? He doesn't just take them to, straight to the resurrection and the miracles and, and all of the things that he's done. He takes them to scripture. He takes them to the one solid thing that makes his death and resurrection super important, right? If Christ never did all of the things throughout the Old Testament and didn't build up his reputation, didn't prophesy this, yes, the, the cross and the resurrection would be great. But how much greater is it because he's talked about it since the foundations of the world? And the reality is our, our lives can be absolutely amazing and still fit into what these disciples were going through, right? There are countless interviews online with the rock stars of the world, the, the um, NFL players, the movie stars that are all saying the same thing. Oh man, I have it all, but I am empty. I have it all. Life is grand, but I have meaning. I have no meaning. I have no clarity to why I'm here. I wish I had purpose, right? Where do we get that from? Where does Jesus take these disciples to to do exactly that? He takes them to the scripture. So, he's laying out the scripture. And for three or four hours, I'm imagining that once this conversation started, they went from a decent pace to more of a leisurely pace, and, and they tried to drag this on as long as possible because they were just enjoying their time, right? Verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. Revelation 3.20 is one of my favorite Bible verses. It was one of the very first that I ever memorized, which is a, a big feat because I struggle memorizing scripture. I encourage it, but I, I struggle with it. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The reality is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not the spiritual SWAT team there to break down the doors regardless of any, anything that we want. They're not there at, the heart, at our hearts with a, a warrant from the Father saying, whether you want it or not, I'm coming in. He's a gentleman. He, he loves us and he draws us in, but it has to be a, a choice from us. And verse 28 just goes to show he... He could have, he could have, oh, hey, what's for dinner? Like, I'm hungry too. I haven't eaten 
just as long as you have. I've been on the same road that you have. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll pitch in for pizza. Like, what, what are we doing here? But he just says, hey, it was, it was a great conversation. I'm going to keep going. And what I love is their response. Verse 29, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. It says he constrained them, or they constrained him. That's some strong verbiage, right? That's not just, oh, kind, generous offer, but just being polite. Like, no, seriously, like, come, come hang out with us. Seriously, come. We, we don't want this conversation to end. We want to keep going. We want more. We want to go deeper. And it amazes me their response, because what did they have? They had Jesus, but they didn't know it. All they had was scripture. And that provoked the response for, I want more. I, I, can't, I can't get enough. I want you to come in here. And at this point, I imagine, if any of you guys have tried to make dinner, it doesn't just happen. They didn't have crock pots or instant pots, so they couldn't make dinner in seven minutes. And so they get inside and they say, well, we've got to make dinner. And in my mind, this is where it turned from Bible study to Q&A. And they just start going round and round. And they, they just continue the dialogue further and further and further. And again, it just astonishes me because they, they don't realize it's Jesus, but they don't care that it's Jesus. They just care that he has scripture and he's got the words of life. And that's all that they want. Verse 30, Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So I am a product of a Hollywood generation, and I will be honest with you. I read scripture, and I have a constant movie flowing in my head. And I love verse 31 and 32, or 30 and 31. So let me paint this picture that I have in my brain, because this is a Hollywood masterpiece. And so they sit down. They're all sitting at the table. The, the, the camera pans around. They're sitting there, and they, they look at Jesus, and they say, well, obviously, you're the most spiritual here, so will you bless the food? Because we're falling apart, and you've got scripture, and so spiritual hierarchy, you've got this. And so they ask him to pray, and he takes the bread, and he, he prays, he breaks it, he hands it to them. The moment their hands touch it, scene cuts. And now you're looking at their memories cross their brain, and they're all of a sudden reminded of when he fed the 4,000 and when he fed the 5,000, right? He did the exact same thing. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he handed it to the disciples to pass out. And then all of a sudden, the scene cuts again, and you see them having, having Passover, because they did that every year, not just his last supper, right? And he would have done the same thing. And then they all of a sudden see him on the, on the cross, because they realize they saw the nail prints, right? And so all of this is going in a moment of time, and then the scene cuts again, and they're back looking at Jesus, and instantly he's gone. And all they have left is the impression of what Scripture did in their lives 
and the fact that they had the risen Savior right there with them. Scripture's exciting if you start putting it in, in three dimensions and you start to see the reality of what they were doing. And so verse 32, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? What astonishes me about this is the fact that in all reality, they, they now have the risen Savior right there in front of them. It's a reality in their lives, right? This isn't just hearsay from the gals. This isn't just hearsay from, from the disciples. This isn't just a, another conspiracy theory. They have the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, right there. They realize that they had had him for hours. He was in their house. He was with them. And what's their first response? Did not our hearts burn within us when he was giving us the scripture? Like, I have no doubt that they were amazed. I have no doubt that they were astonished that Jesus had risen. But their first response is to go to scripture. Their very first response is amazement at what the scripture does in the lives of believers. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us and while he opened the scriptures to us? And I have to admit, that's, that's very convicting because all too often I find myself in the, in the boat of I just have some embers and it's not a, a real big flame. I wake up and I read through our daily Bible reading program because I need to because I don't want to get behind because then you can never catch up. <laughs> but there's no passion there, Right? And, and that's, that's terrifying to admit because I understand the reality of it. But that's a reality, right? It's not that it's completely gone out, but it, it's just not there. It's not passion. It's not, like, there's not this overwhelming desire to go study God's word. There's not this overwhelming desire, oh man, I've got all of this free time. What am I going to spend it doing? Well, I could give you a long list of stuff. And all too often, Scripture's at the bottom, if it even made the list altogether. Right? It is a scary thing when we realize that that's not where we're at. And so that's, that's the challenge that we have in looking at this, is, is where is Scripture in our priority? Where is Scripture in terms of our walk with the Lord? Is it what drives us? Is it what we go to for comfort, for clarity, for healing, or do we go to, I live in this generation, social media, music, TV, video games, right? Where do we go when life doesn't make sense? Is it scripture or is it our social friends, right? Our, as, as much as this, this hurts, do we go to our spouse before we go to the Lord, right? All too often we take good things that are good don't get me wrong, but we prioritize them over his scripture and we miss out. And we go through way too much heartache. We go through way too much turmoil, not because the Lord has, has left or we've, we've lost something, but because our priorities aren't in order. Because we've placed scripture on a, on a lower tier than what it should be. In, in Revelation, the... The, the letters to the churches, Jesus writes a letter to a church that has left their first love. 
who had left the, the love and the passion for Christ and for his scripture. And he says, hey, you guys need to recognize that. You guys need to repent and you guys need to return. Come back to me, right? That's the, that's the call of Jesus in all of our lives, especially when we're in this boat, is come back to me. I, I have this for you. I've written it down. Why? Why did you put it down? I gave it to you. I knew you would go through this, but why? And again, I, it, it hurts because the reality is I can be just as busy when life is good as when life stinks. And so it doesn't matter which portion of life I'm in. Oh yeah, the Lord's really prospering. And so I'm so busy in what he's done that I forget who's doing it. Or the flip side of that, man, I'm going, through, I'm going through health problems. I'm going through marital problems. I'm going through family drama. I'm going through all of this. And I just, I don't know where to turn. And all, all that we have is, is Jesus subtly knocking on our heart saying, just come to me. Just open your heart. Open your eyes. Just come to scripture. I've got this. Just let me do my work. So verse 33. What happens when your heart burns for his scripture? It leads you to action. Verse 33. They, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. So it's late They probably skipped dinner. If they were smart, they packed it up, took it as a snack. But it was such a priority, right? There was such a a call to action in their own lives, self-propelled because of this fire, not because somebody manipulated them into this, not because somebody, oh, man, yeah, I I could really use some help in the yard. You're not busy. Oh, it's just seven miles. Right? They weren't manipulated. It was all self-propelled by the Spirit working through the Scripture. And it called them to action immediately. So they, they hightailed it out of Emmaus, and I would imagine it took them probably half the time. They, I I can only picture, had a lot more pep in their step because they now had Scripture and a risen Savior. And what's astonishing about that is the fact that the reality of, of their day hadn't changed. Jesus was still risen at the start of the day. Scripture was still Scripture at the start of the day. What changed is their perception of it. What changed is the priority of it in their lives And that completely changed the dynamic of everything they saw and everything they went through. And so their call to action, they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And the eleven were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And so they get there and they find the eleven because who are you going to tell first than the people who are bumming just like you? Right? I was, I was in your boat, now I'm out of it, and so I want to drag you out of it. That's the response of people who understand the salvation that they have. They see, oh man, this is what I was saved from, and you're in the same boat, so I want to help you get out of it. I know the solution, and the solution is Jesus, so why don't you come with me and we can celebrate Jesus together? And so they get there, and all of a sudden, now the 11 are telling them, oh, hey, well, yeah, the Lord is really risen. He appeared to Simon. And I have to think that they asked and said, oh, yeah, great, that's amazing. 
did he open up the scriptures to you too? He did what? No. We had a little chit chat, maybe had some tea and biscuits, but what are you talking about? And so they told them about the things that had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so they got to now reciprocate everything that they learned in scripture, they got to give out. Everything that they learned from Jesus, oh my goodness, did you, he said this and this, and he went through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, I know of all places, Leviticus and Numbers, and he still did it. And, and we got through Joshua and Judges and, and Ruth, and, and we got through all the kings, all of that chaos, but Jesus was still there, and they got to just be on fire, and that fire poured into other people. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar. Uh, we, live, we live in a day that we don't have to do this anymore, but how many of you guys have ever grilled on a, on a charcoal grill? Right? You've got, I know it's old, it's antiquated, it's okay, it's okay, it's still great, makes great burgers. Um, so you, you take your charcoal, you, you light it, hour and a half later, it's ready. <laughs> but it's a reality, just face it. You take those coals, and you take some of those, and you go put them on something else that's flammable, what happens? They light. And one, one thing leads to another, and it's, it's like all of the big Hollywood, again, Hollywood, Hollywood movie scenes where they take the torch and they go light something, and then they go and run another, and they light something else, and, and the fire is now spread, right? It, it is the exact opposite message of Smokey the Bear, and, and realistically, you can start wildfires here. And that's what we're called to do. That's what they felt their passion do. That's what we are called to do at the Great Commission is, hey, take the word of the Lord, take that, and put that in the lives of others. It's, it's been adequately said, if you had the cure for cancer, and you said, oh man, this is great, and you go to bed, and you bury it, and you say, well, <laughs> I know I'm great, but nobody else is going to get what I have. You're, you're mean. You're sick. You're sadistic. You, you want people to hurt. And so the same should be, should be taken over here. If you have the words of eternal life, and you have scripture in your heart, you know the repercussions of it. You know the risen Lord, the risen Savior, and you don't do anything with it. Is there a passion for the Lord? Do you, do you truly love those who are lost? Are you, are you really in that capacity? And it, it's scary because I know that the answer has been unfavorable in my, lives way, in my life way too many times. However, when you do it, it catches like wildfire and it's amazing. I have the privilege of being the father of three beautiful young women. And one of the things that we have done okay with, we, we have failed in some areas because I wish we would have started sooner. But the ability to pour scripture into your kids, right? And I know not everybody has kids, but you've got grandkids, you've got uh, neighbor's kids, you've got people. This is just my life, and so I, I can use it as an example. 
we, we have for a while now, we've been, we've been trying to pour scripture into our kids. And it's so amazing because recently, Parker, our middle, our middle child, whom many of you guys might know, she comes home from, from children's ministry and CKC and all of these places, and she's just on fire for, for the memory verses that she's learned and the capacity of what she is able to do at such a young age is just astonishing. She's, she memorizes scripture better than I ever did because she puts her heart to it and she has that fire because it's been poured into her by not only my wife and I, but also by the amazing children's ministry and all of those around here, all of you guys, right? And it, it's funny, uh, uh, just a, a fun little, little story to, to capture this is there's a scripture that Jesus talks about that those in the kingdom of God who are, are the least are going to be the greatest here, right? His kingdom is flipped. So if you're great on heaven or in heaven, you're going to be the lowest on earth. But if you're great on earth, you're going to be the lowest in heaven. And so we're in the midst of trying to, trying to share scripture and pour scripture in, and, and the girls heard us talking about this, and they caught on to it, and they haven't let go. And so now everything's a competition in my house. Who eats the fastest? Who got dressed the fastest? Who did this? Who did that? And now they're at the point where they're quoting scripture and saying, oh, well, I lost. No, I didn't. Jesus, Jesus said, if you're first, you'll be last. So really, you lost. And it's, it's the innocence of kids. But it's an amazing, like, that was not provoked from us. That was not something that we tried to, to set out and say, just teach them. But it was the word of God being present in a household and just the fire being poured out from one place to another, right? So the, the, the first question that we have to ask is, yes, are we, are we on fire? Has that fire dwindled? But if it is on fire, are we keeping that fire to ourselves or are we pouring that out on people? Are we trying to encourage that fire for God's word in the lives of those around us. Now, with that being said, if you are here and you've never had that fire, my question is if you ever knew the Lord in the, in the personal way that they did. And that would be something that you, you really need to seek the Lord on. You really need to ask the Lord, hey, I don't recall ever having a fire for your word, for a passion for, for the things of you and, and we'll go before the Lord and we'll fix that. But you need to be honest with the Lord just like they were, right? So let's, with that being said, let's stand up, let's pray, and, and we'll do that right now. Lord, I, I thank you. Um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, for the fire that you've poured inside of us. Lord, ignite that fire in the hearts of your saints. Allow that to be such a real thing, Lord, that we would walk out of here just knowing very well that you are risen, Lord, and the, the repercussions of Scripture in our lives. Lord, if that fire has dwindled, I, I ask that you would ignite that anew this evening. Lord, we sang about it 
uh, in worship. And I just ask that you would come and you would light that fire. Lord, that you would do a mighty work. Lord, go before us. Be, be present. Lord, give us a, a hunger and a thirst for your word, for the things of you. Lord, if, if there's any here, as, as, we, as we wrap up, Lord, if there's any here that don't know you, Lord, that have never experienced that fire and that passion, I just ask that you would move on their hearts, Lord. And if that is you, I, I invite you, Lord, we, we are going to say a prayer, and I invite you to make that decision. I invite you to say, regardless of what's going on, I want that. I want that to be real in my life. And so we are going to pray. We are going to be honest with the Lord. Admit to the Lord that we have done wrong. We are going to admit that we can't do it on our own. And we are going to ask the Lord to come and intervene in our lives. Father, I confess that I have sinned. I have done wrong. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Come, forgive me. Lord, wipe me clean. Come into my life and light this fire. Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to come inside my heart. Lord, I thank you for that gift on the cross. Make that a reality in my life. God, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.